Welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I am joined on the show today by former big league pitcher Brett Tomko. Brett is a major league veteran of many, many years. He shares an amazing statistic about just how rare it is to have pitched as long as he did later in the show. I'm going to let him to say that one himself, though. But um, he currently has a new podcast about the Dodgers uh, called Believe in Dodgers. And uh, we were very happy to have him on the show to talk about the upcoming series, his time growing up as a Mets fan, which I was not aware of, and also um, just sort of his attitude towards playing baseball then and now. It's a fascinating conversation. Brett is one of the nicest ball players I've ever had the pleasure to talk with. And so enjoy. I am joined on the show today by Brett Tomko. He is, of course, a former Major League pitcher. He's also a new podcaster. And I just found out he grew up a Mets fan. So we're going to have lots of fun stuff to talk about. Brett, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Thank you. So we got to start here. How did a California boy become a Mets fan? (laughs) Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it all started with my older brother a little bit. Um, you know, for some reason, I think he, I think he had a match like the old school, like starter jackets. Um, and he had a Mets one. It was the, you know, the blue with the New York symbol on it. And, uh, we got that, but then, then it kind of evolved and I was a huge Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry fan. So, that's kind of, I think, where it all evolved from um, in the beginning. And then, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so the 86 World Series, I can remember being at a science camp on Catalina Island, and all the kids were doing stuff, and I was sitting with my radio listening <laughs> to the World Series. So um, it just it just kind of went on from there, and, 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 you know, it was hard once I got, you know, where I was a baseball player, and I was doing stuff, and you're, you're with different teams. So it was, it was hard to stay a Mets fan because I was playing for different teams, but – you know, it, it was fun growing up and, and actually getting to meet some of the guys as my playing career went on was was a really cool thing for me. I mean, you also got your first career win against the Mets. So that must have yeah, been bittersweet yeah. in some way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was against, uh, uh, it was Rick Reed, I think, um, started for the other team. Uh, but it was it was so cool. And, and you know, I got some really cool Mets stories. One of my one of my favorite Mets stories was I was playing with the Yankees and we had old timers day. So I'm in the clubhouse, you know, there's a bunch of old timers walking around and Dwight, I had met Dwight Gooden um, a little bit earlier that when I played in, uh, gosh, I think I was playing with the Reds at the time. And we, we came over to play uh, New York and he was out in the outfield shagging. I went over there and, and met him and it was, I've only been kind of starstruck, nervous to talk to maybe two players ever. It was Dwight Gooden and Nolan Ryan. Those were my two guys growing up. So, but in Yankee Stadium, uh, I was sitting at my locker and I had Dwight Gooden on one side of me and Daryl Strawberry on the other side of me, sitting in chairs, and we were just rapping. And it was one of those moments where, I, like, in the moment, I, I was like that little school kid going, "This is so cool!" <laughs> like I'm sitting with the two guys that were the reason I was a Mets fan growing up. You know, at my locker talking baseball. I'm like, this it can't get much better than this. That's a really cool story, man. That's super fun. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you when you did become a big league player, you, as I mentioned, you had your first win against the Mets. You played the Mets in the 06 playoffs. Um, 
what was your impression of the Mets when you were playing against them? What was that? I, I know I know Shea Stadium rather was not always the most fun ballpark to come play in because of both the the clubhouse conditions and sometimes the rowdiness <laughs> of the fans. But you know, but what did you think about coming to play in New York as a visiting player? That was, I mean, talk about another one of those moments. Like you know, you grow up a Mets fan and then you're actually in Shea Stadium. Uh, playing against the Mets, it was, and it, the, the Mets and the Angels were the two teams that I really wanted because I grew up right by Angel Stadium. Um, were the two teams that I really wanted to play for at some time in my career, and I didn't get to play for either of them. But uh, coming to New York, playing in Shea Stadium, playing against a team you kind of grew up loving, um, it's a really cool thing. I remember one thing that I, I think if you talk to any any pitcher and you talk about Shea Stadium, it was the mound. The mound was super tall, super steep. And it was one of the better mounds to pitch off of because you just felt like you had major leverage to go after guys. That's the one thing that sticks out in my head when I really think about Shea Stadium. But it was That's back in the day when it was – yeah. It, that we, uh, on my last podcast, I had Heath Bell on the show, and we were talking about Dodger Stadium and the mound. I said, you know, it's one of those things when you talk to pitchers, you can say, what about Wrigley Field? And you could almost describe the dirt color, you know, the way the mound felt, the way – if it was easy to take some of the dirt off, you know, when you towed the rubber up, I mean, pretty much every stadium has its own distinct um, kind of feel to it. And, and Shea stadium for me was super high amount, super steep, like really nice to pitch off of. So um, it was really cool, but it was like the Piazza, John Olerud, Edgar Alfonso era, which, which I face, which, you know, those guys, you grow up and, you know, coming up to the big league, especially getting, those were the guys that I was playing like, video games you know and i was playing against them and then all of a sudden you're facing like mike piazza you're like this is a trip because you go from like you know facing him in nintendo to actually facing him in the big leagues and i remember piazza like gave me fits um facing him oh even a, a better story uh they came to cincinnati and i faced ricky henderson led off and hit a home run to lead off the game and i thought as he's around the base i'm like dude, how cool Ricky Henderson just let off with a home run against me. Like that's a cool, like a cool to be a part of. And then I walked Edgar Alfonso and I gave up a home run to Piazza and a home run to Olerud. So I'm four batters into the game and I'm down four to nothing. So it's like those memories, like I just, and it's all against the Mets. So I've had some really cool, like, I don't, I don't know if that's cool, but some really good moments against the Mets when I really like think about it. That that's really fun though. You know, it sounds to me like just talking to you now that you never really lost that boyish enthusiasm for the game. How did you keep that up? Because you know, a major league career is daunting. I mean, you know, most baseball players fail more than they succeed, and it's a long grind of a season. So, how did you keep that enthusiasm day in day out when you were playing every day? Well, I think you. I mean, I, I think you talked it. It's like a boyish childhood thing, like. You got to realize, and I, I think I think you get caught up, especially early in your career and late in your career. You 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 get to the big leagues, and you know you're in that moment where you're like, dude, this is really cool. And then the middle, I think the middle of the career, you become with you know with a job, you have a you have stuff you got to do. There's pressures, you know, you got to perform or you're going to lose your job. So I think you get, you know, I don't want to say a rut would be a bad word, but you get in the mode of like, this is what I need to do. This is what I get paid to do. And then towards the end of the career, um, you start thinking like, wow, this is a really cool thing I got to do for 20 years. Um, so I always tried to, I always tried to enjoy the moment. I always tried to take it in knowing that at some point, 
they used to come, uh, the players union used, or no, the players, yeah, the players union used to come in in spring training and talk about things and, you know, the alumni association, they always said something that always really struck a chord with me. It was, you would be a former player a lot longer than you'd be a current player. And it was one of those things, like when I really thought about it, like the window that we play in the big leagues is very small when it comes down to your lifetime. So I always tried to enjoy it. I always tried to, when I went to New York to go out in the city and see the Statue of Liberty and go to the Empire State Building, Times Square, and really take it all in because, you know, it was a really cool thing that we got to do. And then when I was playing, I always tried to meet people. I always tried to get autographs, you know, knowing that someday I'd be done. And that's what you have. You have those memories. So I, I always really tried to, you know, dive into it and really think about the history of baseball and, you know, what my part was going to be in that and, and really enjoy it and, and, and take it all in at, at all times. That's an amazing attitude to have towards baseball. So good for you, man. It wasn't always like, it wasn't always like that. There were times where I was like, I'm getting my butt kicked out there and it wasn't, it wasn't as fun as that, but <laughs> You know, it, it, you really got to think about it. You grow up as a kid, and I never thought I was going to be a Major League Baseball player. I, I, I started kind of developing later as, you know, a late teenager into my 20s. That's kind of when I kind of got put on the map. So, you know, but you sit in your backyard, and, you know, I'm Daryl Strawberry playing wiffle ball with my brother, you know, and, and you, you, you put yourself in those moments, but you never really think about, like, well, I'm really going to get to do this you know, for a living. So when it happens, you have to enjoy it. And you have to realize like, there's only a select few people. I mean, when you start talking about percentages of people that get to the big leagues, and then the percentage of people that actually stay there for more than a couple of years, it's, it's, you know, microscopic. So if you really think about that stuff, and you really go, I need to enjoy this, because I don't know how long it's going to last. And not a lot of people get to do this. That's very true. I mean, you know, for every guy that gets even a cup of coffee in the majors, there are a million guys like me playing with a ball at home, but having zero athletic ability, you know, who would who would do anything to be you for a day, you know, and you had a great long career. So the the perspective you bring to it is really refreshing and really nice to hear. Well, there's only I I believe there's just over 19,000 people that have ever played in the big leagues. And when you think about that over, you know, over a hundred years of baseball, that's a really small number. And so I, I had gone to Cooperstown. I got invited to play in the, the hall of fame classic, um, this year. So I took my boys, uh, up there and we were getting tours of the, you know, the museum and, and they said that number and they said, you know, 19,000. And I was like, wow, I, I would have just thought it was more than that. And then the amount of players that have played more than 10 years in the big leagues drops down to just over 3000. And wow. so to be able to play for, yeah. So to be able to play for 14 years in the big leagues and 20 years, you know, total, like, you know, there's only 3000 people or just over that have ever done that. So when you start thinking about that type of number, I, I really think how fortunate I was to, to have that opportunity and to stick around as long as I did. And, 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 and and my whole thing was I wanted to play as long as I could to have those memories and, and, you know, have all those teammates that I could sit back one day and go, that was a really cool thing I got to do. Again, I'm just so, I'm so impressed with your <laughs> attitude. This is, this is a really pleasure to talk to you about this stuff. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's great. I love it. But let's talk about some current stuff. So you, you have a podcast sure. right now called Believe in Dodgers and uh, you played for the Dodgers for how many seasons? 
I played, I was just there two seasons. Um, but it was great. It was a great two years. And yeah, I, I got approached by a company in LA, believe, um, B L E A V. And they, they're, they're an LA based company and they have a ton of LA podcasts. And, and they asked me if I would be interested in doing it. And I'm just out of baseball four years, five years. And, you know, haven't, haven't been, you know, super far away from it, but you know, I got kids, I got little league, I got all, I got all that stuff. So to get back into it and, and, kind of dive back into to the game has been really fun and my co-host is a, is a high school buddy of mine that maybe is the biggest dodger fan in the world <laughs> um and we've we've gotten into it and you know we're we're a real young podcast we have about 10 episodes under our belt but you know it's been really fun we we call ourselves the dodger dudes um <laughs> as our little tagline but um it's been great we're, we're getting some guests on and I'm, i've been fortunate because i you know i got a nice little rolodex of of former teammates and former Dodgers that I know that we're starting to get those guys on and, and, and really kind of navigate through. And, and you know, that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hard thing. Cause like, especially like you got to get content, you got to think about what's going on. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be timely. So we're just kind of getting, getting going and kind of figuring things out, but it's, it's, it's definitely been a fun thing to kind of get into. You know, podcasting is such an intimate art form, and that sounds weird, but when you think about it, when you're listening to a podcast, you're hearing somebody's voice inside your head a lot of times. You have earbuds in, and it's this very one-on-one experience, and I think that a lot of people presume you can just kind of waltz in and just sit in front of a microphone and make it happen, but like you said, there's a lot that goes into it, and a good podcast really makes you feel like you're part of the conversation. And uh, so I, I would strongly encourage our listeners to check out your podcast because if this conversation is any indication, it's going to be a podcast just like that. <laughs> well, it's fun. And I've, I've got a buddy named uh, Richard Blaze. He's a celebrity chef. And he's oh, got a I, podcast I love that guy. too. Yeah, I, he's I have great. His cookbook his on my shelf. <laughs> that's funny. So he's on podcast one. It's called Starving for Attention. And, and uh, he's actually a huge Mets fan too. So we have that in common. Um, because he grew, he grew up in New York. And, and so we told, we talked Mets baseball here and there, but he, I I've listened to a lot of his stuff because it's just, it's just good to hear people. And, and yeah, you want to be in the conversation and, and really feel like, and I had the best advice from a couple people and they, they said, Hey, it, you know, when you're doing it, this is what you want to think of. You're at a bar or you're at a restaurant, you're just hanging out with your boys and you're having a conversation about baseball. And that's, I think that it, intimacy that you're talking about, um, I, I want to convey that to everyone that's listening. Like, hey, we're hanging out. This is the stuff that you guys think about. This is the stuff that we we think about. And we're just, you know, we're having a drink or having some dinner, and we're talking about it. And and we just did we just did one with Heath Bell, um, and he came to the house, and we were, you know, sitting on the couch, almost like we were just hanging out. And it was, you know, I think those moments, uh, you know, in a podcast where it just seems comfortable and it seems easy, and it's not, it's not for me and I don't know how you, but it's not just so generic question, answer, question, answer, question. We go off on tangents about something and then we're like, Whoa, we got to get back, you know, but it's great content and, and you're still trying to navigate. And I've done, I've done more research on, on players and Dodgers and stuff like that than I ever thought. And, and to be prepared to, to go into it. So, you know, you have a lot of stuff to talk about. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, let's talk Dodgers for a minute. Dodgers are coming to City Field this weekend to take on the Mets. Dodgers have already clinched their playoff spot. The Mets are fighting tooth and nail in a very, very up and down season to get into one of the two wild card spots. As somebody who watches the Dodgers all the time, 
what would you advise the Mets try and do this weekend? If the Mets are trying to take advantage of a weakness in the Dodgers, uh, not that anyone from the team is listening or anything, but you know, what would you what would you suggest they maybe try and do? Well, I don't think it's any. I don't think it's a it's a, a shock to anybody. But if they get to the bullpen and the back end of the bullpen, that's been the biggest weakness for the Dodgers. And, and you and know, around too. LA and yeah, and around LA, you know, Kenley Jansen. That's that's been the biggest question mark and concern for all Dodger fans and, and Dodger front office people because he just hasn't been the guy that he's been in the years past and in the years past he's been as dominant as any closer in the game of baseball history and I think that's where I think that's where people are panicking because he's he's not putting up those numbers that he did three or four years ago which were almost you know astronomical you know you talk about 1.2 ERAs and stuff like that you know, it's not, that's almost super, superhuman. So for him to struggle and he's got six or seven blown saves, I think it's seven now, you know, people are panicking and that's the big thing. And, and, and if you watch him pitch, it's just not the same. So you get deep in that bull bullpen and the bullpen has tightened up a little bit. Kelly's been a little bit better. Baez has been a little bit better, but you know, you get to that ninth inning with Jansen, anything can happen. And I think that's, I mean, if the Mets can, you know, it's not that you want to face Jansen, you know, in a tight situation, but if they do, there's definitely a, a, a chink in the armor or a crack in the foundation where you can, you can make your way in there and get it. And, you know, and, and their starting pitching staff has been, it's been up and down. And I think, you know, Kershaw and, and Ryu have been struggling a little bit and they're not, they're not quite fine tuned as they were. So, you know, I, I think I oh, I think they might have taken Ryu out of the the rotation for this for this series, but I know they're going to get Kershaw, and it's it's been it's been a struggle for the Dodgers. There's a lot of question marks right now going in the playoffs where they gotta they gotta get it figured out before they roll into the um, division championship. And then on the other side of things, as somebody who you know still keeps tra- keeps track of the Mets, but isn't you know watching as closely as you watch the Dodgers, what do you like about the Mets team right now? Well, I mean. Alonzo can't not like Alonzo. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's putting up such an incredible season. Um, you know, he's he's. I for me, I think he's hands down the rookie of the year. I don't think there's any real question about it. Um, you know, and then you start even throwing his name in there for for MVP. I think between Bellinger and Acuna uh, with the Braves, I think those are the two front runners. But you can't you know disregard his his season, Alonzo's season, because he's been you know, as incredible as anybody in, in major league baseball. So, you know, and then you got Syndergaard and you got DeGrom, you got, you know, big arms like that, um, that when they go out there, anything's capable. They're, they're capable of throwing a shutout any, anytime they make a start. So, you know, it's, it's fun to see. I'm, I'm always a pitcher and big power arm guys and guys that strike out a lot. I like seeing that stuff. So, you know, I, I think some of the, the veteran guys aren't quite doing, you know, the Frasers and the Canoes are not quite doing what they've done in the past, and I think that's kind of kind of hurt them. But I still think they're an exciting team to watch. Yeah, I think that the Mets' big strength right now is if they can squeak into the playoffs, no team's going to want to play them because of their rotation. You know, to be able to throw well, DeGrom and Syndergaard possibly twice in a series, that's that's tough to combat. Right, and I I've been talking about that a lot too. When it comes to the wild card, the team that I've always kind of had my eye on is Washington, and I and the Mets have seen a lot of Washington. I'm sure you've watched a lot of Washington, but for that reason, you know, you got 
you got Strasburg and Scherzer, and you have to, and that's kind of the same thing as Degrom. Oh yeah, regards. absolutely. Like, two big arms like that in a short series, you know, because if if the Mets did get the wild card, they're playing the Dodgers, and you get two big arms like that, that could, they're going to throw four of the five games. Yeah. And they have the capability to go out there and throw four sh- or three shutouts in those five games, and then you're out of the playoffs. So. I think anytime you face a team, you know, in a short a short series in the playoffs, and they have big arms like that, you've got to be concerned. Absolutely. Now, I did want to ask you a question, and this is, is spurred on by recent news. I don't know if you saw this or not, but last night, uh, Pete Alonso bought cleats for his entire team that had uh, remembrances of 9-11 on the cleats. And he did this because he really wanted to show his thankfulness for the first responders and he, you know, he out of his own money paid for this for his own first teammates, and it's one of the many things Alonso has done this season that has really been a very mature and very classy move. As a veteran player in a clubhouse, how much do you recognize when there's a young kid who is doing "quote unquote" the right things in the clubhouse? Well, the the funny thing is, I, I you know, my generation, it, it's they're almost gone. There's a few guys left. You know, Cano was a little bit after me. Other guys like Albert Pujols, CC Sabathia. That's kind of my generation, and and that we're almost distinct. We're almost the dinosaurs. So to see a young kid come up, because I think the landscape of baseball has changed, and the landscape of you know the rookie to veteran presence has changed. Because when I came up, rookies didn't say a word. You didn't say a word unless you were spoken to. And I think it's 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 evolved and changed for the good, for the bad. I don't know. Um, you know, I think rookies, they feel like they have a little bit more of a say. And when they arrive, they're the franchise. And so to see a young kid like that, like Alonzo, to do something like that and have the the awareness of, of what's going on and what has happened before him, I think is a great thing. Um, I don't know him personally, but from what I've seen, he seems like a, a great dude. And, and so to see a guy come up and not be, so much, you know, I don't, I don't know if glam is the word, but you know, it's, it's different with social media. You can put yourself out there and you see a lot of the young guys. It's a, it's a, it's a vehicle and it's a tool to, to make a splash, but to see a guy step back and, and do something like that for the, the greater good and the greater, you know, good of the game. And, you know, in the country, I was, I was, I was playing when nine eleven happened and I remember where I was. I remember the first game back in Seattle when, you know, I remember the first day we traveled when you could travel um, and being on a plane was was an eerie feeling. And, and so that first game back was super emotional. I remember we ran around the field and at Safeco Field in Seattle with an American flag and we were on the mound. So, to, to you know, he, he pro- Alonzo was probably, you know, 10 or he was or, six. Or, 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 <laughs> or, yeah, I was going to say, our diapers at that point. So, to kind of realize that and especially you're in New York and I think you know of course it's in your face every day uh you know being a Mets player as a Yan- uh, Yankees player so to do something like that shows a lot shows like you said shows a lot of maturity shows a lot of awareness of you know what he might mean to this city and I, I you know he's just starting off so um you know he's going to be a big deal in the city and and people are going to constantly be looking at him and and you know, it's like a Jeter, you know, I'm not saying he's Jeter yet, but, you know, people looked at Jeter, what he was doing and how he was handling himself. And, and Derek did about as good as anybody could do it in New York. I remember having a conversation with him, like, you know, you can't go anywhere in New York and, 
you know, you've never been a center of any controversy. You've never gotten in trouble. Like there's only respect for you. And I, I think being that figurehead and that public figure in a, in a, in a city like New York is a big responsibility. And the fact that Alonzo's doing that, he's setting himself up to, to be, you know, loved by a city where, you know, he could be a mega superstar. Well, Brett, this was so much fun. Thank you for doing this. Uh, where can folks find you online? Um, we are at Twitter and Facebook at the Dodger dudes. And then our, our, uh, podcast is at believe.com B L E A V.com. Um, people can subscribe, go on there, listen, take a listen and, and hopefully they like it. And, uh, I also saw this, I was doing some research for this interview. Is it true? You're also a painter. I was a, I was an art major in college. Yeah. So before I would say baseball got in the way of my art career. Um, yeah, but I was, uh, I wanted to be a graphic artist and, and I still do some stuff here and there. It's not quite as much as I'd like because of, of kids and life and stuff like that. But yeah, throughout my career, I did a lot of paintings for players and charities and whatever I could do to, to kind of get it out there. That's super cool. Everyone should check out the show for sure. Believe in Dodgers. Brett Tomko. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue in Conversation. Thank you again to Brett Tomko for coming on the show. I really had fun talking to him, and I hope the conversation was as fun to listen to as it was to have. You can find him on Twitter at the Dodger Dudes, which is the Twitter account for his podcast, Believe in Dodgers, B-L-E-A-V. You can, of course, find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find lots more about the Mets at AmazingAvenue.com. You can get this show from OG's Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find this show. You can find me on Twitter at Brian is an app. And until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.